Are you guys hearing my voice right now? Yes, yes. yes. Can you hear us? Does it feel luxurious? It does feel a little silky. I didn't want to. Does it feel luxurious? Do you want to live luxuriously? I'm dreaming. <laughs> it sounded a lot of like a Ian. financial <laughs> Christmas. Yes, go on. What what else are you dreaming of? Hello and welcome to You Do Not Know Lit Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Christmas episode. And this week, Litheads, I am looking for, of course, in Christmas spirit, mm-hmm. the best book about finance. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it like, is it is it Christmas finance? Is it finance and Christmas? Is it like the holiday spirit and finance? Or, or could we just, could we bring a money book this week? Here's the thing. With uh, the supply chain, you guys know about that supply chain. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, people have got their Christmas shopping done in like, July, I think, mm-hmm. just to get make sure they get their presents in time. So sure, sure, nobody sure, sure, has sure. any money right now. We all mm-hmm. need a financial advice. Yep. And of course, we're going to two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. People who famously make wise financial decisions. <laughs> Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshu. I am a high school English teacher. And today, if you're looking for seasonal financial advice, <laughs> I brought a little tiny book from 1998 called $100 Holiday. Hello, ho, ho, my fairy, <sighs> my very merry gentleman. That was my alt intro. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've skunked me. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung, but you can call me Father Christmas himself. Okay. And today, my gift for you, little boys, oh, if God. you've been good, is a recommendation of a money Christmas book called The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's got a really, really long subtitle, which I'm not going to talk about. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> well, I got over COVID, but now I'm sick again. <laughs> Oh, Just a regu- no. regular sick. Regular sick, not pandemic sick. You guys, we I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit on our recording mm-hmm. situation here. Mm-hmm. Today, uh, as you know, is like December 20th or something, the day mm-hmm. this is coming out. But right. also, for us recording, it is December 6th. We have, we're on Stuck in Time. It is December 6th, December 20th, and future Lidheads. Lidheads of the future. Who knows? What whenever you're listening to this. Correct. So here's my question, boys. Both of you have been near to the city of West Wisconsin uh, at some point, of mm-hmm. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and elsewhere in Wisconsin. Here's my question. Have you ever heard of something called St. Nick's Day? Oh, okay. Nick, I want you to go first because it is, of course, named after you. It is. Right, they, right. they saw you and they're like, oh, we got to give that boy a name or a day rather. Yeah, it's a it's a day where you hang up all your socks mm-hmm. and you put put candy in them. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding of the holiday. 
Um, yeah, that's pretty good. I can elaborate a little bit. Uh, Ian, okay. I grew up. In I don't know very, how, but good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, I grew up in a very uh, in a community that is both very Catholic and very Dutch, and oh, uh, nice. we definitely celebrated Saint Nicholas. Um, every, that's a tight Venn diagram. It, it is. It is. We definitely <laughs> celebrated Saint Nicholas. Um, in fact. The high school that I teach at is only about five miles away from the high school that I went to. And it's such a tight Venn diagram that when I went to high school, it felt like everybody celebrated St. Nick. Like everybody would come in with candy on. Is it always December 6th, 7th, something like that? Yeah, December 6th. Yeah. yeah. Everybody would come in with candy on that day because, of course, you hung up your stocking, St. Nick stuffed it, and, um, and you got candy. The high school that I teach at five miles away almost nobody observes it. Wow. Like, like it's crazy. Like it is that tight of a Venn diagram. That's awesome. So for those of our, our lit heads who are not uh, privileged to be near Wisconsin or Mm -hmm. Milwaukee or other places that are so kind of um, that, that Venn diagram matches so well. um, Basically it's, it's just, you put, like Nick said, you put a soccer shoe out and then somebody (laughs) supposedly gives you, some candy and such a treats boot, and gifts. A boot will work. Sometimes money, apparently too. Like like small gifts. Like a lot of times you'll get a small gift for Saint Nick. Like you'll get a bunch of candy and then you'll get, you know, a Green Day C D or something like that. Or, or I would get Is this a is this a regionalism? Is this yeah. a regional thing? So the cool thing is I, I, I did some research on Saint Nick because on Saint Nick's Day because I was like that's crazy. What uh turns out there are there are a few cities in the US where Saint Nick's Day is a big deal. Um, yeah. Milwaukee, obviously, Evansville, Indiana, Cincinnati, of Ohio, course. a town in Texas called Fredericksburg, St. Louis, oh, sure. and After your son. Newport News, Virginia. And that's like amazing. Those are the places, as well as, I guess, more rural Wisconsin. Um, I, I love that. Like it is like these regional holidays really are a cool thing because like as as things get more and more homogenized, like how cool is it that like just these handful of towns throughout the United States celebrate this regional holiday? I also learned about St. Nick this week in reading my book that the St. Nicholas that we know was um, named after a Turkish saint. Right. And he was so pious. The story goes. How pious, How pious was he? Was he? You, you got perfect. Yep, he, you go. he was so <laughs> pious that when he was a baby, he knew not to suckle on his mother's breast on fast days. Oh, good <laughs> boy. Just, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay. That, that guy brings us candy every December 6th. <laughs> you want to talk about Venn diagrams? There's some overlap right there. <laughs> what? What? What is the... <laughs> Can you clarify which exactly circles? I don't know. Those I just are? think it's funny that this guy who is famous for like not eating, his deal is here, have this useless sugar. <laughs> I know Christmas is still 20 days away, but here's a little sneak peek. Like that that is what it felt like growing up. Like it felt like you were looking forward to Christmas the most. But Saint Nick was just like a little pre-Christmas, a little uh, it's pre-Christmas like celebration. Yeah, it's like it was. It was pre-gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call strongly, podcast, where every week we pick a theme or genre, and Ian and Joe bring a book. Hey, speaking of Venn diagrams, this might be our most Venn diagram-y theme we've ever had. Christmas finance? (laughs) Uh, Money Christmas. Is that what you said, Ian? Money Christmas? I love it. Well, the jingle jingle of coins in your pocket. Anyway... Where was I? Uh, it's Strongly Podcast. This is our Strongly Podcast. Strongly, unlike Nick, who is weekly. <laughs> <laughs> Sick weekly. 
<laughs> and we got concerned. I think Ian and I both wondered what these podcasts would be like if each one Nick got weaker until they just disappeared, <laughs> until we just stopped releasing them. Uh, we're every week. No, I already did that part. Mm. Rules. Hey, Nick, uh, are there any rules? We well, we are going to pick a winner tonight. Of course, the winner will, uh, the, the winning book will, of course, have guided us to the most crucial uh, money Christmas of themes and facts <laughs> and helped us in our life. Uh, and to keep us on track is, of course, of course, three primary rules. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, please, gentlemen. Rule number two, this one's for Omit you, needless Joe. Words, Omit Joe. needless words, Joseph. Yes, thank you. Um, but you know what? It's the holiday, Joe. If you want to slip in a farm story, feel free. It's um, it's, oh, it's your I, gift. To I us. didn't even prepare one, but I'll I'll do my. We're best. not worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and rule number three: winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that's important here to Ian and Joe. Um, is this like oh, a yeah. Christmas coupon farm story? Like I just play it whenever no. I want. Like when Ian's no. when Ian's talking, can I just be like farm story? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I think I think that's absolutely the rule. Cool and fun. <laughs> Don't forget, folks. We also do have our shadow rules, which are jingle belch, jingle belch, jingle all the belch. Ian, uh, Joseph, why don't you? Uh, I forget everything you guys said, so why don't you, uh, Joseph? Hey, Joe, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. You got 30 seconds. Dazzle Absolutely. us. Nick, as we get older, it sometimes feels like Christmas is kind of horrible. Like it's something to endure okay. more than it's something to endure. Like there's the pressure of Christmas busyness, the tension of gift giving in a world where people have everything mm. they need and most of what they want. Uh, I've got a book for you. 1998, mm. author Bill McKibben makes an argument for the ages in a logical way. This Christmas, don't fall into the trap of more stuff. Instead, fall into more music, more companionship, more contemplation, more time out doors and more oh we'll oh. never know that's our time right <laughs> no and more time on the clock for joe good good hook there joe mm-hmm. uh and now ian hook us hey my book this week is a pretty <laughs> simple book it gives you some background for charles dickens writing of a christmas carol then it describes the complex publication of the novel And then it explores the novel's afterlife, including stage plays, films, and radio dramas. It's not a huge brick of a book. It's not particularly complex. It's a pleasant, easy read to curl up by the fireside with. It'll put you in the holiday spirit. And it was made into a well-regarded movie starring Christopher Plummer as Ebenezer Scrooge. So take that. Which one is Christopher Plummer again? He was. You know, I always get these Christophers confused. There's too many Christophers in Hollywood. You guys ever notice that? Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. We could go all day. Christopher, Christopher. Maybe this. Christopher Columbus. Maybe this could turn into Christopher. a Christopher Plummer fan cast. Um, Christopher could, Plummer. Could my favorite Christopher Plummer note is that he was the extremely attractive Baron von Trapp in The Sound of Music, and nobody knows that. <laughs> nobody thinks about that because he was young, and most modern film <laughs> lovers know him as an old guy. He was in Knives Out. Right. He was yeah. The old guy in Knives Out. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. That movie was... I just don't get it. We, we have yes, talked about we know Knives you're Out. You're undue amount on this podcast. I don't know if you guys ever seen Knives Out, but I just don't get it. <laughs> I feel like this is a book slash Knives Out hate podcast. Okay, did you see... Did you see... Oh, oh, don't worry, guys. They're bringing back... Uh, what's his name? Craig? They're bringing... Daniel don't worry, Daniels. everybody. They're bringing back Daniel Craig for the remaining two Knives Out movies for $100 million. Nice. Wow. Good man. Wow. 
highest paid. Congratulations, Daniel Craig. For Knives Out 2 and 3. Are you kidding me? Wow. So speaking of money Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel Craig is celebrating his own money Christmas. A blowout year. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, hey, forget James Bond. Knives Out is where the money's at. Apparently, I just need to make a pretty engaging uh, mystery movie. I anyway, pref- I prefer I prefer referring to him as Craig Daniels because Daniel Craig <laughs> sounds like it matches the man, but Craig Daniels right. sounds like um, a failed, I don't know, singer-songwriter. Right. I think he sounds like a car- like an internet cartoonist. Yeah, or that. <laughs> Craig Daniels. Uh Ian. Yeah. Merry Christmas, you're going first. Yo ho ho. Oh, Ian, Merry Christmas. It's what it's what Nick got you. Going first. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Um, you guys, I just want to say on this special day of Christmas, mm-hmm. yo ho and a bottle of rum. Mm-hmm. I love it. Good. Thank you. The the thing that you might be asking yourselves, mm. as you remember the brilliant things I said when I talked about the the thirty second plot, is I didn't really mention money, did I? No, 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 you didn't. No. You talked about Charles Dickens. You talked about Christmas. You talked about like a complicated publishing yep. process. Oh, is this like, about like, um, like the publishing side of money? Is this, <laughs> yes, it's about the you, U.S. Are Mint. you reinventing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is the middle of this book an extended financial contract negotiation? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this I'm going to tell you guys, you're, you're usually pretty civilized about not raking me over the coals in terms of my outlandish choices. Um, and how I shoehorn them into our theme. But I am going dis- to dis- discuss why I'm talking about the man who invented Christmas on Money Christmas, Christmas Money Week. That, because that would be great. I think it's it's an interesting connection. Um, so if any of you lit heads uh, or any of you gentlemen who I podcast with listen to last year's Christmas Carol episode, I think we called it Spooktucular. Mm. Spectacular to a Christmas Carol uh, story of ghost at Christmas. We didn't have a story of a ghost at Christmas. That was not part of the title. Anyway, you should go listen to that after you finish today's episode. Obviously, Litheads. Um, if you listen to last year's, you'll remember that when Charles Dickens wrote the Christmas Carol, um, a Christmas Carol, he was in financial straits. He was in he was in trouble. He was in debt. He wasn't making a lot of money. He also had a pretty lavish lifestyle, and he really, really hated the idea of being poor. Mm. So well, join the club. <laughs> like like everybody hates well, that. I just like it. But but he he had like the uh, Standiford who who less Standiford is the guy who wrote this. Standiford argues that um Dickens kind of had like a trauma, like a an emotional trauma connected to when he was young, his dad got sent to debtor's prison, which was a really a really logical thing, a really logical social system where if you owed somebody money, you were sent to prison until you could pay it. Which doesn't seem oh yeah big problems, there's, an, there's an, Boy, cash flow real issue. room yeah. for error uh, real room for uh, maybe some some problems mm-hmm. in that situation yeah, yeah. some breakdown yeah, so some breakdown um, when Dickens was younger his his dad went to debtor's prison multiple times his dad and his mom kind of like wasted their money and Dickens had to grow up not just in poverty but working these dreadful dreadful like Victorian era drudgery type jobs there's one one job in like an ink factory where he got ink all over himself and oh you would never get clean like you'd be dirty all the time what's ink like is that like oil can did, did you just need dawn soap to get that off how do you get that off uh it depends i don't think it comes um, off. my dissertation is kind of partly about this really um, long story <laughs> short 
Is it? <laughs> yeah, ink, ink shows up. Yeah. Long story short, there <laughs> is oil an involved, appearance. and it is usually quite unpleasant. It gets everywhere uh, very okay. easily. I'm gonna get back to Dickens here, okay? Because because this is this is important. He had this childhood trauma with being poor, and so the thought of being poor is kind of like it 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 plunges him into a depression. Not just like oh no, I won't be able to pay my bills, but also I'm going back to my old life when I where I I was miserable and in pain. So the 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 funny thing about A Christmas Carol is it is a financially motivated story as Standiford sort of contextualizes it. He talks about this as like coming from Dickens desire for money. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, why does anybody do anything? Well, well, money and well, <laughs> girls. Money I, I would and imagine girls. like money and well, girls, right? Uh, Ian, as I mentioned, yeah. It's Christmas. You don't have to give us the hard sell. We su- we support your book selection here. Great. Thank you. This book is kind of about getting money and making money and acquisitiveness and greed as bad. Scrooge is an avatar for like capitalism and making 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 a buck. Standiford says this really nicely. He says Ebenezer Scrooge is no cast-off drunk but the very emblem of economic achievement. So this kind of like well-to-do, very well-heeled, you know, bank accounts filled to bursting. This is where Dickens wants to be. And it's also the villain of his piece or, or yeah. Like, like when Marley and that it went, when Marley is wearing his chains and he comes to see Ebenezer Scrooge, like his chains are made out of the trappings of financial yeah. wealth. Like they're made out of like, like lock boxes and chests and stuff like that. And yeah, the, the point of the story the kind of moral of A Christmas Carol is, you know, generosity and love and family are so much more important than having money and accumulating money. And so Dickens doesn't quite practice in his life what he preaches in his novel. But the novel was hugely successful anyway. So um, that's, you know, great. Good for good for him. He he managed to get both. He was both happy and very wealthy. <laughs> that's the I dream. guess it all worked out is if you really want money more than anything, everything will be fine. Right, right. If you just <laughs> devote yourself to money, yep. No matter you, what, you just really gotta want it. Uh, this book has kind of three three sections. The first section is about background. The second section is about publication, and the third section is about afterlife. So, in the background section, um, there's a lot of kind of historical stuff and a lot of sort of contextual stuff we we understand we learn like all the all the the sad stories i was telling you about the ink factory and stuff why dickens is so poorly off he had this interesting career trajectory where he he had his first couple of novels were just enormously popular to the point that like something like 25 percent of the british reading public were buying his work that's huge market <laughs> share that's, that's crazy um mm-hmm. so he was he was riding high and then things kind of leveled off. He took a trip to America. He did a lecture circuit. He wanted to go to America really badly. He got to America. He hated America. And then he came back and wrote a book based on his experiences. And he just trashed America. He just, oh, just, no. just ripped up and, and threw America in the, in the garbage. So he's kind of in a bad financial and emotional relational situation. You know, his wife is about to give birth to their fifth child. He's 31 years old. And just like 
he has this lifestyle which doesn't match his income. He doesn't his his current novel isn't selling very well. He's not enjoying writing it. And so we get kind of the lead up to him writing Christmas Carol and he does and he hopes he kind of believes that it's going to be a huge success. He's like, this is amazing. I feel so good about this. It's not like anything I've ever oh, done. That's when it never goes well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he Dickens was working with these publishers. He wanted them to publish this in a really fancy edition. He wanted it to be so like kind of expensive, um, very lush. And the publishers said, no. But what you can do, they said, is you can finance it yourself and we will take a cut of the the proceeds and you get whatever's left over kind of reversing it. Usually they would pay him up front and then they would take the rest of the proceeds. They're saying, no, you pay us and then you can take the remainder. Right. And he just wanted to make it like a fancy little thing. Yeah. Like, like foil on the cover or like pages made of lace or something. He wanted, he wanted um, color illustrations. He had colored type um colored ink in the in the 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 first edition and the 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 spine was all red with like gilt stamping it was a really beautiful object and so he had this book printed and it sold out in 6 days and the second printing sold out and the third printing sold out and he was like yes he expected a thousand pounds from this <laughs> yep and they sent him a, a little bill, a little thing that said, okay, here's the, here's the breakdown. Here's the take. 1,006 pounds is what your book has made. He was like, nice. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, so we're going to subtract 120 pounds for the printing and 120 pounds for the inking oh and 500 pounds for the binding and 60 pounds for distribution, 60 pounds for advertising. And so by the time this was done, he was left with 150 pounds. Pretty good. Oh, no. That's, I think it's crazy. I mean, like, obviously we have inflation and things like that, but Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. Like, A Christmas Carol. The most famous Christmas story of all yeah. time. And the dude made 150 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, I don't think the story's over. <laughs> and then he died. <laughs> that was it. This novel didn't bring him a ton of money, but it established his reputation kind of for good. He was he was cemented as like kind of the foremost popular novelist and he had some he had some duds throughout the rest of his career, but for the most part he was he would do lecture tours. He got to a, the point where he was like doing uh, read alouds from the Christmas Carol. He, he just, he was set for the future. Yeah. Like this is his guarantor. Like after this, he is famous enough that he can do anything he wants and it might not be commercially super successful, but he's always going to have an audience after this. Absolutely. And, and some people once have gone so far as to like call this like the most perfect novel he wrote. This is the best book he wrote at the best Christmas story. You've heard that said by somebody named Joe at one point Joe in Smart. America, in like the early early 20th century, the bestseller list um, looked like this. Number one, the Bible. Number two, <laughs> Christmas Carol. Like that, that was it. It was outselling yeah. literally every other book except for, and we're talking like dictionaries, encyclopedias, mm-hmm. manuals, handbooks, all that kind of thing. Okay, I, Ian, I have a really stupid question. Nice. I've seen, I've seen this movie. Is this book... Like, 
is this book fiction or nonfiction? Because when I see this movie, it is, I, I've seen this movie. It's very dramatized. Like it is a uh, like a narrative. You meet Charles Dickens. You like Thackeray is a character in it. Like it is this book like a nonfiction account of Charles Dickens life or is Charles Dickens a character in this book? This book is nonfiction. I'm just going to put that out there at the front. But he says, many before me have been compelled to write of Dickens, of the Christmas season, and of A Christmas Carol in particular. My intent in writing this book has not been to catalog, analyze, or chronicle a life, but rather to weave some rather familiar, if sometimes disparate, elements into a narrative that might enliven the historical facts attendant to it. And though I have made use of the same Research techniques here that I've employed for many years in academic pursuits, I intend this volume to be a fireside pleasure of the Fezziwiggian type and not a formal <laughs> work of scholarship. So he says, this is this is for fun. This is not mm-hmm. fiction, but it's it's popular. Yeah, great. I, I can't hear Fozziwig without thinking of Fozzie Bear from the Muppet Christmas Carol. Like right. like Fozziwiggian. Now all I see is Fozzie Bear in my mind. Well, you're welcome for that. Can I, it's great. can I have, I um, can I, could you maybe give me a gold star for that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here, you know what? Um, actually, uh, we all start with 500 victory points. Yeah. As you know, um, you may have a gold star and five of my victory points. Yes. Ian. So yes. Take you're, you're that, up. Nick, you, I'm ahead of you. Hey, these are unsanctioned. Let's keep this. Let's keep these victory points going. <laughs> Cause I brought a game. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I oh guys, can I just tell you how much I like playing games on this show? Like, good. <laughs> like I I enjoy talking to you guys every week, but I really like the games. Good. All right. So the the way this is going to work this this is a game called Duds Dickens versus Hallmark. The way that we think it's going to work. <laughs> so the way this game works is um well I have to give you some background first. Dickens wrote Car- Christmas Carol. Everyone ah. loved it, and the next year he was like, you know what? I'm going to write another holiday story back at it again. And he did. And then the next year he wrote another one. And the next year he wrote a total of five follow-ups to uh, Christmas Carol. None of them sound very good. Um, they all sound kind of stupid actually. And none of okay. them, well, we'll leave that for later anyway. So he writes these follow-ups to Christmas Carol every year at Christmas. The new one comes out, the new Dickens. Um, they're popular in his time, but obviously not very much read today. So I'm going to read you a plot synopsis, brief, like one sentence plot synopsis. And you have to tell me if it's a terrible Hallmark Christmas movie or one of Dickens' low quality follow-ups to A Christmas Carol. I think this should be a game we play every Christmas. Okay. Okay, here we go. First one. And so um, you can say Dickens or Hallmark. And Dickens means it's by Dickens and Hallmark means it's a Hallmark. By Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll I'll write it down. It's fine. Okay, good. A dude is kidnapped by spirits of Christmas bells who show him how he needs to get his life back together and also how his daughter is about to end her own life. And then he does get his life back together and she ends up happy and healthy. I guess I Dickens. Why? Mm. No, I don't have to answer why. I I reject <laughs> your follow-up question. Ian's a teacher. You have to explain your thinking. Um, 
I am also going to say Dickens, um, and I'm very confident in that because I, this is the book that I started reading this week. To bring. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I, I got like halfway through it, well, probably a third of the way through it, and I was like, this book is nuts. I, I don't want to talk I about this, this book. Yes. And also, it doesn't have anything to do with money. Yes, yes. Um, well, this, this is a book called The Chimes. Yes, it's a Dickens book, mm-hmm. and it was very well received. Made him a, made him a good. This one actually did make him a thousand pounds. How um, much is that? Like he wanted, but you know, you always make it's like Daniel Craig. Like Knives Out was a nice payday for Craig him, Daniels. but the real money's in the sequels. Yep, Craig Daniels. Speaking Love of sequels, um, let's find out. Here's another. Here's another. Um, uh, another uh, um, question. Another plot summary for you. Two lawyers are battling it out and then their siblings fall in love and get married. And so they become in-laws who are battling it out. And then they have to make a Christmas celebration for their siblings together. Like that has to be Hallmark. Like it's it's kitschy. It's it's a little too cute. Wait, what's not what's not kitschy about being kidnapped by spirits of bells? Hmm. (laughs) This one certainly takes a different turn, doesn't it, Joe? I think the obvious answer is Hallmark, so I'm going to say Hallmark. Great. You're both correct. <laughs> Yay. I, oh. This is This game is so easy. This is a, like, this is a Hallmark movie <laughs> and I cared so little about this movie that I didn't even record the title of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably have just described like seven or eight Hallmark true, movies. True, true. Okay, here's the last one. You guys are currently 2 for 2. It's all it's all comes down to this yep. and All the it's for this is this is for 100 victory points but i'm gonna keep my gold this is for santa's approval and oh yes and santa's approval here it is oh you go on the nice list you go on the nice list yeah oh yeah that's also it i'm gonna take my victory points back the winner of this goes on the nice list the not one the loser goes gets a barrel of coral coal mm-hmm. and coral mm-hmm. here it is here's the last the last plot summary there is a young professional guy and he thinks his wife is cheating on him but then he finds out that she's faithful to him. And so he gets the spirit of Christmas. Mm, both. I'm going to say both. It was both a Hallmark movie and a Dickens <laughs> oh, movie. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Dang. Um, I'm not going to say both because I do think we should have a clear winner here and a clear and a clear naughty list boy. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to say this is a Dickens novel. This sounds a little bit dark for the premise of a Hallmark mm, good. movie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Joe, you are correct. This oh, is eat it, Nick. Enjoy <laughs> the naughty list, dork. Uh, wow, <laughs> brutal. You might go on the naughty list for that eat one. Shit, um, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the episode will be Nick just living it up because he knows he can't redeem himself. Um, yes, this is a, a novel called "The Cricket on the Hearth," and the way that our young professional finds out that his wife is faithful is that there is an, a cricket on his fireplace, and the cricket talks to him. Oh. That's weird. You know, I don't know. Like that sounds like a weird premise for a movie and like Bell Spirit sounds like a weird premise for a, for a book. Um, but like at the same time, a Christmas carol is kind of weird. Like you're visited by three ghosts yes. who teach you the Christmas spirit. Yes. Like it, it just so happens it's become part of our culture. <laughs> um, that's it. Nick, you lose. You get a mouthful of coal. Joe, Oof, you eating. win. You get a mouthful of, I don't know, ham or something. Yep, <laughs> that, that sounds pretty good. Actually, nice list treat. Well, what, what, uh, what, why should you read this book? If yeah, I mean, you just you're a lover, huh? You got, you got to love it. 
yeah, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But right. also, I would say you should read this book because uh, I don't know when I when I first started reading it, I thought there was nothing to say. It's just really interesting, and it, I think it changes my my perspective. I, we think of of Dickens as like connected to he's similar to Bob Cratchit, the the the, the clerk who is poor and cold, and like we think that's Dickens, that's the Dickens figure. But this this book kind of made me think, well, what? There's a little bit of Scrooge in in Charles Dickens too, and, <laughs> and maybe this book is sort of his redemption um, as well as Scrooge's. So. Yeah, it enriches. It enriches something. It enriches the Christmas Carol, which I didn't think could be enriched. So it's about Christmas and money. That's a pretty it tight is. diagram. It's about Christmas. It's about money. It's about money. Yeah, it's Christmas. About money. Christmas. And most importantly, it's about mm-hmm. Christmas money. I want to close today with a Hobbit fact. Oh, long time no see. Yeah, yeah. So um, our good friend, friend of the show, J.R.R. Tolkien, wrote his children letters from father christmas every year for 20 years and the british are strange they don't say santa claus they say father christmas which is a little bit odd but anyway tolkien wrote these and he like went all in he didn't just you know type it up on a piece of paper and say look this is from santa he's he he drew on the envelopes he drew postmarks and designs to make it look like it was sent from the north pole he had like illustrations in the margins like full color illustrations his special script and like a a special font for um santa's handwriting um and he also developed this complex mythos for father christmas that where there's like a polar bear that lives with them just a boatload of 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 just mythical stuff that he puts in these letters and and this eventually some of the elements of 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 um the lord of the rings show up in the letters as he's kind of thinking them through um eventually they're published but they start off you find them first in the father christmas letters so i think this taught me this Hobbit fact and researching this taught me two things. First of all, I have no shot at being as good a dad as Tolkien was. That's the first <laughs> point. And the second is, um, you heard it here first next year for our Christmas episode. I am going to read the father Christmas letters by J.R.R. Tolkien. That's one of the earliest teasers we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Nick, do you like colonialism? Nick, how do you feel about brutal crushing of native interference with your extractive properties? Mm-hmm. Nick, how do you feel about, like, the responsibility of the white man, like, to, like, bring culture <laughs> to the rest of the world? Oh, Because if you like those boy. things, you are going to love Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> yeah, wherever that line was... Uh, we crossed it. <laughs> oh God! Every year, so I teach I teach Kipling's poem uh, "White Man's Burden," and every year my students are like, "Wait, what? 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 <laughs> the, what are God, you?" The first time I read the first time I read "White Man's Burden," I thought for sure it was irony. Yeah. Like I like you were talking about context, Ian. Like I didn't have the context for it. I'm like, oh well, this is a super ironic poem. <laughs> and my professor <laughs> was like, no, 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 he was serious. <laughs> He meant everywhere. Yeah. So um, in honor of this, uh, I mean, he was a very well-known and I guess still quite well-known um, author, Rudyard Kipling. He wrote some well-known stories like The Jungle Book is his birthday. Okay. His birthday is around this time. And so we're going to honor him, but mostly probably make jokes about how horrible he was. 
No, but I mean, a product of his time, but also, yeah, a little, a little short sighted. Yeah. History uh-oh, has not sided. Uh oh, an apologist, Ian. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll be, I'll, I'll read a, I'll read one of his science fiction stories called With the Night Mail. It ha, spell, has spell that? Um, W I T H space night mail. Is there a K? Is there, is that M A L E? N I G H T M A I L. It's a night in chain mail. No, it's about, it's about the future. A mail night. It's about the future when I think blimps carry the mail around the world. Okay, great. Book about the future. Uh, Joseph? Uh, Nick, I'm going to bring a story that I haven't read since like third grade. It's about a mongoose that fights a snake. Okay. Is it a metaphor? Uh, Almost certainly. Almost certainly. It's also got a great title, Nick. It's called Ricky Ticky Tavi. I think I think after the Jungle Book, probably his most famous yeah, thing he's probably. written. Although that is also because they're like the two things I've read by him um, and that, that one poem. So yeah, Nick, Ricky Ticky Tavi, a mongoose and a snake. It seems like the, we have a concerning week ahead of us. <laughs> Remember what I say every episode in the intro, which we record live every time. Right. Every author was at some point a racist. But how much of a racist? Find out we'll next find out week. Next week, <laughs> tune in. All right, Nick, um, this book, there, there's a bunch of stuff you're going to like about it. First of all, it is it might be the shortest book I've ever read for this podcast. It's 95 pages long. It's basically like I've read pamphlets bigger than this thing. It's, it's like a terrible pamphlet. It sounds like it sounds like too long to be a pamphlet, but too short to be a book. Well, oh, I disagree. It is just the right length for a book, especially when you don't decide what you're going to read until like Saturday when, when we record on Monday. Yeah, that works. Um, it's 95 pages long. Like Ian's book, it comes to you in three sections. I really like though, he calls the sections chapters. So sometimes you see this and he's like section one, section two, like in other books. But in this book, he's just like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. The book is now over. (laughs) I've never read a three chapter book before. (laughs) That's nice. That's just so cool. It's a gift to you. It, oh, it was a little a little well, Christmas holiday. From yourself. A, a gift Christmas from gift. yourself to yourself. Treat yourself. Yeah, it was actually a gift from the Menasha Public Library and uh, Bill McKibben out to me. Yeah, shout, shout out, out to Menasha. <laughs> <laughs> he gets right to the point. It is super straightforward. It is uh, an easy to read, um, pretty digestible, and pretty convincing book about why we are celebrating Christmas incorrectly. Oh, <laughs> so it's telling you you're wrong. Right. It, well, not just that you are wrong, but that like the entire world is wrong. Uh, the entire first chapter is about the evolution of Christmas. Uh, Bill McKibben goes back in time in an actual time machine. Uh, no, he, he just goes back in time through history, like through, through the, the time machine of research. And he talks about how certain Christmas holiday, uh, how certain Christmas traditions evolved, how we arrived at the things that we take as totally normal for Christmas. And we've talked about some of this before. This is stuff like, why do we put a Christmas tree in our house? Or what's up with the Yule log? Or why is there mistletoe? Um, like those kind of fun facts that that have stuck around for many, many Joe, years at this point. I do. And I'm sorry. I didn't know I had this problem until you said it, but I do desperately want to know why is there mistletoe? Oh, okay. So mistletoe comes from the 
druids uh, in which they believed that like ho- uh, Holly and like certain greens had healing properties. So they would bring them inside. And and uh, that that is why we have it. It's, it's a druidic tradition. Um, is most of your book dating back to the druids? <laughs> no, just just the mistletoe Is this a druid part. forward book? <laughs> it's, it's a Jewish princess. Um, <laughs> so so it, it talks about a handful. The whole first section of this book talks about a handful of things like that, right? Like it basically talks about how we arrived at the Christmas traditions that we have. Everything from mistletoe to Christmas trees to giving gifts, like why we give gifts on Christmas and why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th when we don't really know when Jesus was born. So, um, okay, before you... Uh Tell us more about the Druids. Mm-hmm. What what's what's the basis of this? Is this like historical? Yeah. In nature? So the base of this basis of this is is Bill McKibben is a, a nature writer. A few years ago, about 10 years before he wrote this book, so this would be like 1988, um, he started thinking about the impact that Christmas had on the environment, like this thing that he had made his career writing about. And like, here's a little bit of a spoiler. It's not great, right? Like the massive consumerism at Christmas time is not wonderful for the environment. So he started to think about how he could lessen his impact on it. And he started to float this idea with his family and with his church of what he called the hundred dollar holiday. And he says he chose the word hundred dollar because it was basically catchy and made for a really good title. Like it was, it was really sticky to talk to people about like, like year of yes. Right, exactly. The year of yes, right? Like it's not so much that you have to say yes to every single thing, right? It was instead that like it was something that stuck in people's minds and it was he could elevator pitch it. So he started celebrating the $100 holiday and the $100 holiday is exactly what it sounds like. It is a holiday in which everything you do from getting a tree to getting presents for each other to the food that you make it comes out at about a hundred dollars. Like you should be able to total it up on the back. Okay. Of the so if I'm getting this, and, this straight, yep. you spend a hundred dollars on every aspect of your Christmas. So like a hundred dollar tree and a hundred dollar glass of wine. <laughs> you have to spend a hundred dollars. Yeah. So for example, this year, my wife and I went and bought two Christmas trees and those two Christmas trees came to $95. That would leave us $5 for the remainder of Christmas. Wow. Uh, but to be fair, jo- Joe is very cheap. So, <laughs> well, <Okay>. McDonald's Christmas. <laughs> Today's episode brought to you by McDonald's. Get your Christmas meal for okay. $5. The McRib yeah. is back. <laughs> the Christmas and it's underneath your tree <laughs> real reindeer meat um ew <laughs> well just as gross as the McRib all right so chapter one is all about the evolution of Christmas essentially how did we get to Christmas as we know it today especially focused around like the the present giving part of it right the commercialization of Christmas chapter two is more or less an argument that we we have outgrown a commercial Christmas. And in chapter one, one of the things that he arrives at is Christmas is a holiday that has evolved over the years, over the, the decades, over the, the, the centuries to the millennia. Nope. <laughs> well, it's Christmas, Joe. You have to say yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Give, definitely give Nick this millennia. one small gift. Mm-hmm. Over the millennia, over the eons. Uh-huh. Christmas is a uh, holiday that has evolved from the dinosaurs of the time. Sorry, I'll stop talking. <laughs> uh, hey, a T Rex in a Christmas hat? Good, good, good shit. Really cute. Yeah. 
really cute. Um, but it's evolved to meet the needs of people. So he actually goes back and talks about Charles Dickens. He talks about the poem of visit from St. Nicholas. And he talks about the origins of Christmas as we know it with Santa Claus coming down the chimney, giving presents. And he said, look, at that time, like the focus shifted from uh, the, the focus of Christmas shifted from feasting to shifted to like giving people gifts. And in the 1840s, this makes a bunch of sense, right? This is a time of hunger. This is a time of want in both America and England at the time. Um, and, and it said, look, it made a lot of sense to give people gifts of things that they needed at that time. Well, the obvious conclusion of that is that we have evolved way past that. Well, here, let me ask you this. Do you have anybody on your Christmas list every year that it's just impossible to buy Christmas gifts for because they, A, already have everything that they want or need, and B, if they want something, they just go get it. Like, they just go buy it for themselves. Yeah, Joe, let's cut ahead. I think we all know exactly what they're saying. It's Christmas is too it's capitalistic it's like it's gone too far right it's like ridiculous well, and, and it's, it starts on black friday now it's on thanksgiving and now yeah it's, but that is the argument that he makes but he doesn't say like oh it's too capitalistic and we should really hate that he says look christmas doesn't reflect our values anymore or mm. it doesn't reflect the values that we should have Giving oh, people gifts so makes it sense. Doesn't match his values. <laughs> his his Methodist, his Catholic Dutch values. Uh. <laughs> no, he says he says. Look, giving people gifts makes a lot of sense when people need things. People no longer need things. So, what do we want now? What do we need now? And this is chapter two. And what he arrives at is, hey, what people really want now. Like when you survey people, when you look at what people are lacking in their life, they are lacking peace and quiet. They're lacking time to themselves. They're lacking contact with the natural world. They're lacking fellowship. And then he does say, and a lot of times they're looking for a relationship with the divine. So he says, what we need to do is we need to optimize Christmas, the Christmas season, the holiday season for those things, for peace and quiet, for time to ourselves, for contact with the natural world, for fellowship with our, not just family, but like friends and neighbors, and for this relationship to the divine. Are you secretly getting religious on us here, Joe? Okay, so so there is a religious undercurrent in this book. Like, he started this with his church. He is a... a Doesn't sound that uh, far under. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it uh, it is an undercurrent. He only talks about it a little bit. He brings it in as a side from time to time. Um, I almost didn't put relationship with the divine on this list because <laughs> it is almost like an aside after everything else. He basically says, we want peace and quiet. We want time. We want contact. We want fellowship. And by the way, we care about God. You know what? Screw it. I'll go all in. It sounds yep. like Mr. Mr. William McKibben did not get good gifts one year. Mm. And then he's like, oh, no, I actually, I'm giving this you the gift stupid. of uh, solitude. And he runs outside, grabs a handful of dirt and says, I'm also in contact yeah. with the natural world. See, look, it's for you. I'm giving you the gift of. Is your author just sheep? Is he a sheep? Is he an actual no, sheep? Is he... That is your author just cheap? <laughs> cheap. <laughs> Oh, it's cheap like a bird. Um, it, okay, <laughs> birds famously are very yeah, um, very frugal, very Scrooges. Frugal. 
<laughs> okay, that's the obvious like thing to levy against this book. And he does actually talk about this in in one of his chapters where he's like, look. Here's my bank account statement. <laughs> it's, well, he says, this is cheap. what I'm pitching. It's going to be a hard sell. He's like, the commercialization of Christmas is so baked into us. It's been baked into us for 150 years at this point. So, like, yeah. we see messages It's so all baked the time. in that yep. to bring up Jesus <laughs> is kind of weird. It's kind of weird to talk about <laughs> Jesus at Christmas. Um, yeah, Whoa, yeah. I'm so, just talking about filling up socks. <laughs> <laughs> Back off. He says, I love the Christmas season. I love seeing my family. I love seeing my neighbors. I love like, you know, the time that I spend with friends, etc." He said, but at a certain point, I noticed that like there were certain aspects of Christmas I wasn't necessarily looking forward to. And I noticed that so much like the focus of Christmas had become on presents. And he said, and all of a sudden I felt like a 50 year old guy on spring break. Like mm. I could remember why it used to be fun. But at the end of the day, I just would rather go to bed at a decent time, which is a pretty good line. <laughs> so he says, look, the focus of Christmas has come on presents. It's led to like this gross feeling. So he says, so what should the focus of Christmas be? It should be peace and quiet. It should be time with ourselves. It should be contact with the natural world. And it should be fellowship with loved ones and neighbors. Anything deeper than that to discuss, or is it just really saying, is that it? <laughs> well, Nick, it's only 95 pages long. <laughs> is he just like, kind of like, get off my lawn with your, with your materialism? <laughs> okay. He, the last chapter of this book, chapter three of this book is basically, so here's what you should do instead, right? Yeah. So these are my suggestions. I'd like right? some action items here. Yep, that's exactly Good. it. So these are my suggestions. So he said, look, once we optimize for these things that we know we're lacking, that we know we care about, right? We have the opportunity to do some cool stuff. He says, at Christmas, you should make an, you should take that opportunity to make contact with your neighbors. Like it's when barriers are the lowest. 75% of people do not know their neighbors. 75% of Americans do not know their neighbors. A stat, which by the way, like blows my mind. Like, like I feel like that can't be accurate, but- it's in the book, so that's yeah. pretty good. Well, we just moved last year, and we greeted our neighbors uh, with, you know, wine and baked cookies. And sure. We <coughs> <coughs> and illness. I don't know why they didn't want our cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, to take this time of year to make contact with your neighbors, the barriers are the lowest. Like, it's the one time of year when you can just knock on somebody's door with a tin of cookies and like be warmly received, be like invited in the house. He said, make food for people, like make handmade gifts. And I, I think handmade gifts get kind of a bad rap. Like they turn into, here's a slip of paper. That's a coupon for a free massage or something like that from me. Um, I don't, don't miss lit heads. Don't offer to massage your neighbors. They're think it's <laughs> they might not like it. He said, but what are you good at? Like do that for people, like make food for people, like um, make blocks for kids. He talks about one year he made walking sticks for everybody that he knew, um, including his one-year-old daughter. And they still have like this tiny little walking stick at home that they have now turned into a Christmas ornament, which is really cute. Nice. Like make soap for people. Um, I started actually thinking about 
when I've seen this done really well in my family, and uh, I, I have two sisters um, who who are both fine. Uh, I, I like them both just 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 fine. Sounds <laughs> and, like the lady doth protest too much, me thinks. Okay. <laughs> I like my sisters, and I definitely remembered to get them something for Christmas. <laughs> and I'm not adequate siblings. <laughs> But like a few years ago, one of my sisters um, made a family cookbook for the family. Like she nice. called all of the aunts and uncles. She put together everything. It, I think it turned out to be a huge endeavor and she printed cookbooks for everyone. Another one of my sisters makes a family calendar every year. And it's like something that she thinks about all year. She bothers you for pictures all year. You know, it's a calendar where every month there's, oh, I don't know, 20 pictures of memories of for the family of that month. So Basically, he says, look, I can give you a thousand suggestions and, and you can think of a thousand more on your own. But what it comes down to is if you want to make, let me actually finish up with this. He says, Christmas should reflect how you want to live your life. Like Christmas nice. in, in a lot of ways should be aspirational. Um, we don't have time. We don't have attention, right? Like we don't have those things in our life. So at Christmas time, intentionally cultivate those things and intentionally give those things. So he says at Christmas time, don't go to the mall and give people the latest doll. He says, give people things that are actually rare, give them time, give them attention, give them memories and give them whimsy. Right. Um, which I think is not only a pretty good message, but I think it's kind of inarguable. Like nobody, you know, we've all had seen the shit show of Christmas morning, like as kids rifle through, like they shotgun a present open and, and just end up with a pile of stuff that's really forgettable. Are you giving your nieces and nephews yeah. rifles and shotguns? Yeah. Shotgun and rifle mean the same thing. Kind of. I, I yeah. think they're different things oh, yeah. completely, but. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like, like, okay, you can rifle through something or you can shotgun a beer. Both of them mean like you could rifle through shotguns. You could, you could, you could rifle through a beer. You could shotgun a beer too. Yeah. I was going to say, could you shotgun a child? But that doesn't. That Jesus Christ. <laughs> so yeah, that that's the book. It's 95 pages long. What else do you want? It's not so much about like the how to do these things. It's about the why to do these things. And I think it's a really clean argument that he makes that, um, that has influenced me. Oh, can I just point out one more thing? It, it's a hobbit. It's a hobbit fact of my own. Yes. Um, I would like to point out that uh, that um, that J.R.R. Tolkien, like the story that Ian told about J.R.R. Tolkien, like writing a Christmas story with a complex mythos and designing a new envelope every year, is literally this exact thing. And hey, we're we're still talking about Good call. it. Neither of these sound great. Um, <laughs> Nick is a Grinch. Uh, so, but oh, man, I got to pick one. Got him. <laughs> it's part of the rules. Baked in. <laughs> I don't know. Ian, you basically brought a, a footnotes for a book that I haven't read. So that's a real tough sell for me. Uh, Joe, I think your author is just cheap. <laughs> 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 um so obviously i'm getting rolexes for both of you this year classic very nice very exciting uh you and you lose oh, I, fantastic. I, yeah it sounds that's it sounds nice um that's all we can all we can ask for. but i can't in good good conscience pick that book if i haven't even read christmas carol yet mm, good call mm. 
Unless, so maybe I'll pick it next year. Unless it's what you read before Christmas Carol to get you in the mood. Unless. Ian, I know you haven't lost in a long time, but this is where you pitch the show. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought I had a chance to come back. Uh, you come back. Lit heads. <laughs> if you want to put a present under our trees and by trees, I mean, in Google and iTunes store and all those places. And by under, I mean, again, in, um, you can head on over to, um, the iTunes store and rate us five stars. Stars, stars are Christmassy. Rate us five stars there. Tell your friends about us. Give them, hey, write on your handmade stolen construction paper Christmas cards. Just the words, just the words you don't know, Lit. <laughs> Even better, mm-hmm. cut them out of a magazine like a like a ransom note. Ian, may, <laughs> may I interject? I wish mm-hmm. you would. Perhaps um, you could do a handmade QR code. Yeah. And then that could send them <laughs> to our website. Yes. Well, you all have it memorized. I know what the QR code is. So go ahead and draw that from memory. Just the QR draw that code out. that sends people to our website. Um, you can like us on um, social in media. In real life. Instagram. <laughs> or in Instagram, real life. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, you could follow us on Spotify. If, if, Hey, if you're, if you don't know mm. that is showing up in your Spotify wrapped, you should definitely shout us out there. Cause we love to see the fact that you listen to us religiously. Um, in this irreligious time, listening to us religiously is the best you can do. Um, I'll also note that, uh, we're active on parlor. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> daily, exactly what we're doing over there remains to be seen. So, uh, lastly, but not out. leastly, I just want you to to tell you this in the spirit of holiday good cheer. I will say, go over to your neighbors, knock on their door and then offer to give them a massage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a coupon for a massage would be fine. <laughs> Out of the blue on stolen construction paper, <laughs> massage coupon. God bless us, Maybe. everyone. And if you're not comfortable with that, just any sort of physical touch coupon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this is from my book. Good. 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 That's how this works. <laughs> good, good, good. I know that much of what I've written sounds like a typical Christmas, and that's precisely my point. Trimming the tree, eating the turkey, opening the stocking, singing the carols. If these things bring you joy, and for most people they do, then they are parts of Christmas that you want to focus on. And you can focus on them more easily, as well as incorporate all sorts of new and borrowed rituals once you put aside the burden of buying carloads of presents, once you've ended some of your worries about what the materialism of season means to your kids. Most likely, you'll have other fantasies, other dreams. Maybe a camping trip into the winter woods so that your family could welcome Christmas all by yourselves. Maybe Christmas afternoons at a homeless shelter fixing dinner. Don't do anything that isn't fun. At least, don't do it twice. If you don't go to the nursing home, if you go to the nursing home and it just depresses you, then save that for another time of year. The point is not to do good. The point is not to save money. The point is to emerge from Christmas relaxed, contented, and happy to have kept the season. (laughs) 